Hey guys, so my name is Jamal Miller and it is an extreme honor, like I said, to be here. I'm so excited for what God has to say. You guys are in an, in an incredible series called The Book of Love. The Book of Love. And I'm so excited this morning to continue this series. Pastor Jonathan killed it, all right, opening this thing up, talking about agape love. I mean, when I tell you I was listening, I was like, man, I'm getting convicted because that is one of the most powerful forms of love that we can experience is the unconditional love of God, where literally it has nothing to do with us and everything to do with him. And I'm excited for this Sunday as we continue in this series because I truly do believe we're going to have a good time, all right? We're going to have a good time because we're coming out of one of the most, I would say, juiciest books of the Bible this morning, and that is the Song of Solomon, the Song of Solomon. So what I would love for everyone to do, please, we're no matter where you're at, and I, I can see you guys are at home. I got you right here on my iPad, so I can see you on the chat. I want you to light it up. I want you to use your fingers. This is way your way to worship, all right? You don't worship like this on chat. You worship like this, all right? Thank you, Jesus. Come on, somebody. Amen. So I want y'all to shout me down in the chat room. When I'm saying something good, I need you to let me know because I can see you saying it, all right? And it'll help me finish this thing up nice and strong. I do want to give honor today because it is Valentine's Day to my amazing wife who is back home. Babe, I love you. I'm so grateful you let me come here and get this preach out today and bless the saints. If it wasn't for you, I wouldn't be the man I am today. Thank you for being my Valentine. I love you so much. All right, turn your Bibles to Song of Solomon's chapter 8, verse 4. Song of Solomon's chapter 8, verse 4. When you got it, online audience say, I got it. Those of you out here say, I got it. I'm there. Song of Solomon, chapter 8, verse 4. And it says this, I charge you, O daughters of Jerusalem, do not stir nor awaken love until it pleases. Holy Spirit, we come before your precious throne. We're so grateful for the opportunity to be in your presence today. If it wasn't for what Jesus did for us, we would not be where we are today. And we are so grateful that we can be in your presence to be able to learn and glean from your word. May it pierce us where needed so that we can continue to become and be transformed into the man and into the woman you've called us to be. Help us to be better for your glory and your glory alone. In Jesus' name. Everyone said? Amen, amen, amen. So in order for you to understand the power that lies in this verse, in order for you to see the value, the importance that this verse carries, I got to take you on a little bit of a history lesson. We're going to go into the magic school bus today and ride through the life of the author of this book, the Song of Solomon. In order for you to really understand what this verse is saying and why it is saying it, we've got to take a little ride down memory lane. Because if you didn't know this, the Song of Solomon, this book, is one of the most misunderstood books in the Old Testament. 
many have even wondered how it was possible that there can be a book in the Bible that doesn't even mention the name of God. Theologians have actually argued why this book was even included in the canon. See, my training tells me that when you're reading the Bible, you read the Bible as it is. And this book is a love story, y'all. This book is a love letter between a bride and between a groom. Now, I'm not sure about many of you. Take you back a little bit. Have you ever written a love letter before? <laughs> now, I'm not talking about your little roses are red, violets are blue, sugar is sweet, and so are you. I'm talking about a love letter that includes some juicy details. For you ladies, I'm talking about that love letter. Now, this is back in the day before we had Facebook Messenger and all the things that we can do. But I'm talking about that love letter for you ladies. You put a little perfume on it so when he opens it up, come on, somebody. He remembering how you smell. And for you fellas, no, you ain't getting away. Y'all know how y'all did it. Y'all spray. Y'all go into your daddy's uh, closet and find one of his colognes. You spray that, you spray that little cologne on that love letter. So when she opens it up, ooh. See, I'm talking about a love letter that is so juicy, so descriptive of how you feel about this person that you make sure nobody can find this love letter. So you put it between your mattress so mom and daddy can't find it. See, back in the day, this is how we communicated our feelings to one another. We would write them down on a paper and we would explain how we feel. See, this is what Song of Solomon is. This book is a love letter written by a man named Solomon. And I don't even go so far to call this man a love child. See, I don't know if you know about Solomon, but his daddy, his daddy's King David. Now, if you know about his mama, his mama, her name was Bathsheba. And I'm going to take you a little back into the story of David and Bathsheba real quick so you can see what Solomon was the product of. See, one day King David, Solomon's dad, was supposed to be at battle. But he stayed back overlooking his kingdom and he looks down and notices a young lady bathing. And immediately upon his eyes seeing her bathing, he desired her. David went down and he spent some time with her. Well, y'all, this time got him in a little trouble. See, Bathsheba was married to a man named Uriah. And when Uriah came back from battle, David tried to set it up to look like Uriah had been with his wife in order to cover up him being with Bathsheba. It failed. Uriah refused. So now David had to do a plan B or a plan C. David sends Uriah into battle, into a dangerous mission. Uriah is killed. David's pastor, his name was Nathan. Everybody say Nathan. Nathan. Very important man. 
Nathan comes to David and begins to break down a story to him about a man who did a very lawless thing. And after breaking down the story, David says, who is this man? Whoever this man is, he must be killed. Nathan says to David, you are that man. Conviction fills David. And he falls to his face and says these famous words. Create in me, O God, a new heart. Renew a right spirit within me. And David goes even far as to say this. He says, God, do not take your Holy Spirit from me. See, y'all, Solomon was the product of dangerous love. Solomon loved God. He loved the law, and he did very many sacrificial things daily. And one night, God appeared to Solomon, and he said, hey, what shall I give you? Ask of me anything. Solomon now, at this point, is reigning, is being prepared to reign and be king, sitting at the right hand of his father, David. Solomon says, God... How am I supposed to rule and reign all of these people? So Solomon asked God this one thing. He said, give me an understanding heart so that I will know how to discern between good and evil. The Lord was pleased with Solomon's request. See, y'all listen, Solomon didn't ask for money. He didn't ask for the lottery numbers so he can go out here and, you know what I'm saying, become rich overnight. He didn't ask to live to 5,000 and say, I want to have immortality and live forever. Solomon said, God, give me wisdom. And God was pleased with his requests. So now Solomon, king, becomes one of the wisest men on the planet. And because he becomes one of the wisest men on the planet, he now becomes one of the wealthiest men on the planet, and because he's one of the wealthiest men on the planet, he's now become one of the most powerful men on the planet. But there's one thing that this yielded more than anything. Y'all, Solomon became a love doctor. Now, I'm just, I'm just telling y'all how the Bible tells, how the Bible tells me, all right? Solomon becomes a love doctor. Now, to the degree the Bible literally says that he had more than 700 wives, y'all, and more than 300 concubines. Now, you would think Solomon, being a love child, being a wealthy man, now being a love doctor, the question now becomes... Why did he write the book of Solomon? Why did he write the Song of Solomon? We're talking about a book that has very suggestive and provocative language. We're talking about a book that is very graphic 
and its explanations. We're talking about a book that is super steamy and very sensuous. Because this book gives us insight into a type of love that can only be experienced between a man and a woman. I'm talking about a love, y'all, that makes your sweat drop down from your armpits, all right? Are y'all with me today? I said, are y'all with me today? I'm talking about the type of love that makes imaginary butterflies start flooding in your stomach. Come on, I don't know where that stuff comes from. Like, where is this coming from? Why do I feel this way? I'm talking about a love that makes a woman drop her identity and take on a whole man's last name. I said, ooh, this is some real love right here. Y'all, this love is called Eros love. And this type of love, it's sensual to your senses, it's sexual to your body, and it's satisfying to your desires. And I say all that to say, it is in this book that this man who experienced this type of love, the wisest man on the planet, more than 700 different women, more money than he knew what to do with, it is in this book that he says these words, do not awaken this love. Until it so desires. I'm going to say it again. It is in this book that this man says, do not awaken this love until it so desires. That means something. And this morning I have a charge to each of you. Because you may not say, Jamal, now I'm single. I, I, I'm not, you know, I ain't awakening this love. That's the thing. As a single man or a single woman, my charge to you is that there is no greater delay to your destiny than awakening this love before the right time. Now, you may say to Mary, the married folks may say, now, Jamal, all right, we already awakened it. I'm good. I'm safe. No, no, no. We see from David. That there is no greater destruction to your destiny as a married couple, as a married man or a married woman, than to awaken this love outside of God's created power. This type of love has been the reason for the ending of many lineages and many legacies. And it is my goal in my heart today to help you to see how to guard yourself from awakening this love outside of God's created design. Because this love was created to be enjoyed. Because God made it. And Solomon in this book, in the book of Solomon, he literally gives so much descriptive detail about this love. But if we don't know how to handle it, the very thing that was made to be enjoyed can now become a weapon of destruction. So let's get ready to dive into three 
ways to guard against awakening this love until it so desires. Number one, don't follow your heart. Lead your heart. I'm going to say it again. Don't follow your heart. Lead your heart. The Bible says in Proverbs chapter 24, verse 3, it says this. Guard your heart, for out of it flows a wellspring of life. One of the things that I've learned in my life, being married now for eight years, going through the ups and downs of marital bliss, one of the things you would hear a whole lot in marriage is this concept of, are you always in love? What happens when, can you fall out of love? Well, here's the thing you got to understand, and I've learned this. Your feelings don't know your future. And when you begin to rely on your feelings, you then are opening yourself up to only live based upon the present. And I'm going to be honest with you. Yes, in marriage, there are moments in the present that you don't feel like doing certain things. All right? We can go practical real quick. Sometimes you don't feel like washing the dishes. All right? There's some days you don't feel like going to work. And there are some days that you don't feel like getting out of bed. But the last time I checked, if you don't do those things, life can be very, very challenging. <laughs> and this is the reason why you can't allow your feelings to be the dictator of your decisions. You need to be led by facts. And this is something that I have learned how to do in marriage in business, in friendships, is I put facts over feelings, where I do not allow the things that I feel to lead me, but I go back to the basis of what is true. And we see this consistently in the Word of God, where God calls us to tap into His wisdom. And His wisdom is true. And one thing that I've seen, this happens over and over and over, especially in dating relationships, is that many people will go into a dating relationship for you singles. And the one thing you're being told is, just follow your heart. Well, how does he make you feel? How does she make you feel? No, you don't need to treat this like some imaginary tale or some dream or some Hollywood movie. You need to treat this just like you would treat a job interview. You need to go in there. The word dating actually comes from the root word data to gather information, to gather facts. So when you are on a date and you're getting to know somebody, yes, I understand. He may make you feel all fuzzy inside and he may make you feel a certain type of way. But at the end of the day, what are the facts? Does he love Jesus? Does she have a job? Who does she believe in? Where is he going in his future? I need facts. Because it is from the facts that I can now allow my feelings to enter in. And even for you married folks, it's very easy to allow your feelings 
to override doing the right things in marriage. Because one thing I've learned is that marriages don't go bad. They start bad. By you not doing the things you need to do every single day. I didn't say once a week. I didn't say once a month. Every single day. Married couples all the time come to me and my wife, and when they want counseling, and they'll say this, and they'll say, man, listen, we just feel like we're losing our spark. We're just, we're just not connected like we used to be. Well, don't you understand? You're changing, and she's changing. Come back to the truth of what you said yes to. Come back to the covenant of what you agreed to. Because you have a flesh that is at war with your spirit. And the more you get into your flesh and you allow your flesh to tell you that you're not made for one another, you allow your flesh to tell you she doesn't understand you, you allow your flesh to tell you she doesn't get you, you allow your flesh to tell you he's not on the same page with you, Look, he doesn't open the car door for you anymore. Look at what he's doing there. And begins to pinpoint all of these things versus coming back to the truth of, have I asked him? Have I heard him say it out of his mouth? Have I heard her say it out of her mouth versus me assuming a thing? Let me go get proof. Don't follow your heart. Lead your heart. Because Jesus has conquered your heart. And because he has conquered your heart, you now can surrender your heart to him. I'm sorry. I don't trust my feelings enough to allow my feelings to lead me. This is why it is key to make sure you're staying submitted to the word of God because it is in the word of God that you can find the transformation of your mind so you can think correctly and think right. Number two, don't draw a line in the sand, y'all. Erase the line. See, when it comes to boundaries, we're all about how far can I go? What can I get away with that I'm still not in, that I'm not in sin, right? Well, you got to understand the Bible says in James chapter 4 verse 17, it says, is remember, it is sin to know what you ought to do and then not do it. So instead of you waiting on a manual and a list, a checklist to make sure you are still in God's will, God's already put it within you by his spirit to know when you are doing something you shouldn't be doing. So instead of you looking at it as how far can I go, you don't even want to even go to that even thinking. As a dating man or a dating woman or a single man or a single woman, the question is always how far can we go and still be okay? No, the question shouldn't even be that. The question should be what pleases God and what doesn't please God. 
The question should be, does this put a smile on God's face or a frown on God's face? So instead of you trying to look at it for what you can get away with, you need to be looking at it for what can you do to continue to be honoring and pleasing to God. Because that is the way for you to succeed every single time. Because I know I can't do this without him because I'm doing this for him. So if you're dating and you're in a relationship and you're doing this thing just so you can get away with stuff, your entire perspective is off. You're not dating in order to please yourself. You're dating in order to please God. And out of pleasing God, there's pleasure that comes upon you. That is a man and a woman that is in love with Jesus. That every single thing that you do, you do it unto him. And when you see the Father happy, ooh, you happy too. When you see God jumping up and down and saying, good job, you you feeling real good inside. I'm not trying to just get away with stuff, hoping God is turning his back towards me, hoping God has turned his eye towards me. No, I want to to be able to keep my father's attention. I want to be able to make him proud with every single thing that I do. I want to be able to be a son and a daughter that when I get to heaven, he says to me, good done, my well and pleasing servant. I'm so proud of how you lived your life. I'm trying to live my life unto the call of God upon my life. I'm not just trying to get away and get by in this life. And it should be the same thing for your love life. You should not have to hide your love life. You should be proud of the person that God has brought into your life. You should be proud to be able to wait on this person and do what is necessary to prove to them that you are a person that is worth carrying their heart. But we all understand that when it comes to this concept of drawing a line in the sand, that boundaries are a necessary part of life. Because it is the very things that were created to be enjoyed that without boundaries, they become destructive. I'm talking about sex, y'all. Sex is a beautiful thing. Sex is a holy thing. But just like fire... When you put fire in a fireplace, you can sit around it, your family can sit around it, your kids can sit around it and enjoy it because it's within the confines of being controlled. But the very thing that can be controlled, that can be enjoyed when controlled, can be destructive when it breaks outside of the confines of what it was created for. Our culture has become overly sexualized. Our culture has made sex something that is attainable and deserving of everybody. We make it to where literally you turn on the TV, every commercial, every TV show, every movie is selling sex. But we've got to come back as believers demonstrating the power of sex within marriage. Because this is where God created for it to be enjoyed. And we see, going back to David's story, what can happen when a person takes that powerful desire and enjoys it outside of the confines that it was created for. Nobody, 
Nobody should be held back from experiencing the bliss that comes from this powerful thing God created to cause two people to come together and to be able to connect in a way that nobody else can connect with them. But this is why the more powerful it is, the more control it needs. And this is a real word for our day and our age because of how easily accessible it is. You don't even need to have a quote unquote partner anymore due to the ease and the access of pornography in our day. This thing has become a rampant problem for men and for women. What's the cure? What's the solution? Is culture just gonna be culture? Are men just going to be men and women going to just be women? Are we going to continue to accept and allow this thing to destroy our men, our women, our family, our children? Or are we going to raise a standard and declare that this evil, that this destructive vice, not only would it be stood up against, but that we will show as believers how to do it the right way. We're not going to shy away and not talk about it. We need to stand up and we have to say something. Hey, listen, this is what happens when you have sex outside of marriage. Okay, we know that. But what happens when you do have sex inside of marriage? How good is it? How great is it? How often are y'all having it? What's it like? What is going on in that thing? This is the stuff that needs to be talked about so the people can begin to see that this thing is a good thing. God created it. Our children, I told my wife this. Because I grew up in a home where my parents did not display any PDA. No public, no public affection was shown in my home. I never saw my parents kiss. Never saw my parents engage in intimacy, hugging, showing love towards one another. And I told my wife, I said, babe, this is something that I have to work at because I didn't see it. It wasn't normalized in my home. I saw it more outside of my home than I saw it inside of my home. So because of that, it's something that now I have to work at because I don't want my daughters to see other people engaging in intimacy and PDA more than they see their parents who are doing it God's way. I don't want my daughters to see their friends engaging in this stuff behind closed doors and behind school buildings and not seeing their parents engaging in it. I want my kids asking me, why do you kiss mommy like that? I want my kids asking me, why do you hug mommy like that? Because your kids need to see it being done in God's way. If you waited, you should be able to display it. So don't be afraid, believers. Don't be afraid. We are a model and an example so when Song of Solomon is saying, do not awaken love until it so desires, it's because once it is awakened, everyone should be able to see it. My last point is this. Don't wait for love. Prepare for love.
The Bible says in Ephesians chapter 6, verse 13, Therefore take up the whole armor of God that you may be able to withstand in the evil day, having done all, stand firm. Everything you do before you say, I do, is preparation for marriage. I said it earlier, marriages don't go bad, they start bad. Two people not being ready for the commitment and the covenant that marriage will bring. Two people not coming into marriage, understanding not only the good that they're bringing into the marriage, but also the bad. Being aware of your temptations, being aware of your weaknesses, being aware of your shortcomings is very necessary so that you and your spouse will know how to serve one another. Not just helping each other to be great, but also helping each other by protecting each other. Because I'm aware of my wife's weaknesses, I know how to pray for her. Because she's aware of my weaknesses, she knows how to pray for me. Let your spouse into that vulnerable place in your life. I promise you, you will not regret it. Yes, it may be hard. Yes, it may be embarrassing. But you need to allow your spouse to support you where you can't support yourself. This is very important for the success of your marriage. Don't wait for love. Prepare for love. While you're single, do what you need to do to ensure that you're not bringing no more than what you need into your marriage as it pertains to your weaknesses. Fix that stuff while you can, because I guarantee you when you get married, it's going to magnify. I'm going to say it again. The stuff you failed to deal with before marriage will magnify inside of marriage. 1 Corinthians 10, 13 says, No temptation has overtaken you that is not common to man. God is faithful, and he will not allow you to be tempted beyond your ability. But with the temptation, he will also provide the way of escape that you may be able to endure it. So I don't care who you are this morning. And I'm, as I'm preaching about this different type of love, this eros love, the sensual love, the sexual love, I'll declare over you that it will not overtake you, that you will be able to endure it. All the temptation, all the tests, all the trials, you will be able to endure it. Married man, you'll be able to keep your eyes just on your wife and your wife alone. Married woman, you'll be able to keep your heart together and not allow it to wander into somebody else's life. I'm telling you, single man, you'll be able to keep that thing, that desire raging within you. I know it's hard. I know it's real. Single woman, I know you desire to have a husband, somebody to do life with, but I'm telling you this morning by way of the Holy Spirit and by way of the Word of God that God has already provided a way of escape for you, that you have a way out, and His name is Jesus Christ. His name is Yeshua HaMashiach, and He died on the cross for your sins to give you a way out so you don't have to do this thing alone. You are not by yourself. You're not going through it by yourself. You have a person. You have a man. His name is Jesus Christ, and he wants to help you. He wants to help you. No matter what your situation, no matter what your scenario is, no matter how hard it gets, he wants to help you. And not only does he want to help you, he wants to show you a better way. You may be thinking, man, I've been battling with this for so long. I'm struggling with pornography. I'm struggling with this desire deep within me. I'm struggling with keeping my eyes on my wife. I'm struggling 
But I want to tell you this morning, when Jesus died on the cross for our sins, yes, he gave us redemption. Yes, he gave us salvation. But he also gave us, he gave us a better way to live this life. And it's by dying to I. Galatians 2.20 says this, for I have been crucified with Christ. It's no longer I who lives, but it is Christ who lives in me. And the life I now live, I live by faith in the Son of God. I want to invite you today. To surrender your life to the one who surrendered his for you. To stop fighting on your own. Stop trying to struggle on your own. And allow this man to do what you can't do for yourself. He is the way to conquer. So that you can be able to enjoy the fullness of Eros love. So you can be able to enjoy the beauty of Eros love. So you can be able to enjoy the power of a love that is able to change the world.